Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, tackling the biggest issues in the world of television. I'm Chris Curtis, and this week there's only one story in town. Channel 4 privatisation. Or not, as the case may be. So we're giving over the whole episode to debate the battle ahead and to assess what the implications for the sector might be if the broadcaster is sold into private ownership. Joining me to share their views are two indie bigwigs and a leading analyst. So I'm delighted to welcome Two Rivers Media founder Alan Clements, South Shore Chief Executive Mel Leach, and Enders Analysis founder Claire Enders. Uh, welcome, guys. Thank you for joining us. So the government is preparing to launch a formal consultation on Channel 4's future imminently, and Broadcast understands that the questions in it are going to be framed quite provocatively. For example, they're going to ask st- stakeholders for their views on the government's preferred option of privatisation rather than gathering more general views about Channel 4's future. So I'm going to come to you both now for an initial reaction. Um, Mel, let's start with you. This feels um, pretty scary, right, that this is coming down the track pretty fast and it's pretty real. It does. Um, it feels different uh, to when there have been chatterings about this before, I think. Um, and you're right, it does feel scary if you're in the independent sector. It's very, very hard to see any upside to the privatisation of Channel 4. Good. That makes sense. Alan, let's come to you. Your initial reaction. Yeah, I would agree with Mel. I think it's serious. And I would add, I think it's personal. And I would, uh, without being unduly cynical, take it back to Dorothy Burns' uh, brilliant McTaggart lecture, which lacerated the Prime Minister as a liar. And why now is, I think, because they want to do it. There's no compelling no compelling present reason to do it uh, and that's why I think it's dangerous and also how you frame the consultation I think is right when you have the minister John Whittingdale saying starting a consultation by saying it's a good idea I think that's not a true consultation. I would agree yeah. with that they also have the mandate to do it which is frightening you know it's not difficult for this government to push things through at the moment. Yeah, look, it's it's something that we'll be we'll be looking at, and it'll be interesting to see how various companies and organisations from within the sector respond to the consultation, and what um, what people are prepared to sort of say publicly and, and and on and on the record. My instinct is that the indie sector will be a big supporter of Channel Four, and I'm going to ask you both, Alan. I'll come to you first. Can you give us an indication as to the role that C4 has played in the development of the companies that you've worked for through your through your career? I'm thinking obviously about Two Rivers and your current um, incarnation, but you know IWC and, and companies previous. How, how significant has C4 been in terms of a creative partner? Well, it's one of the few benefits of being so fantastically old, Chris, is that our it's at four companies now, Work Clements, IWC, uh, SDV, and, and now Two Rivers. And yet it, it can be the most annoying, frustrating organisation to work with, but it is also a brilliant friend and ally to the independent production company and always have been. And um, from doing the review when we were at, at Work Clements through to making Escape to the Shadow at Two Rivers, We've always had a great relationship with uh, Channel 4 and it has been essential to, to the growth of the independent sector. And now, having had two or three attempts, not brilliantly successful at moving to a proper nations and regions strategy, they're now 100% committed to it uh, and it is irreversible. 
and they have led the way in that and they've brought the BBC in its wake, which I think has been an absolutely brilliant contribution. And what about that? In ter- I'm thinking about things like um, for IWC, the importance as a Scottish indie of a returning series, right? Um, in terms of the the, the, the shows that were the, kind of the bedrock of that of that that indie for a long time, still yeah, are. No, absolutely. I mean, location, location, location is still going strong and still made by IWC, and obviously. Kirsty and Phil with their own operation now in Raise the Roof, uh, which in your head are doing brilliantly um, with Channel 4 shows, uh, or list it most recently. And so those kind of returners, as Mel knows, those kind of returners are how you build a business. Uh, and STV was Antiques Road Trip and Catchphrase, you know, and with Two Rivers, it's Escape to the Chateau and Make Doing Men. Those are the kind of shows you build a business on. And Channel 4 putting those outside of London is incredibly important. Yeah. And Mel, I mean, not dissimilar, I suspect, 2-4 from the early days in Plymouth. C4 was an important partner in its in its narrative, right? And I can say with some certainty that 2-4 would not be the supergroup that it is now were it not for the backing that they received in the early days from Channel 4. You know, I can remember very early in 2-4's incarnation that, you know, we had... Um, uh, you know, a slate. We didn't have any Channel Four shows, and uh, but Stuart Cosgrove was in place, and he was very vociferous, and you know, he was a fantastic champion of uh, small indies in the nations and regions, um, and he gave us enormous support to try and find that first returning show, and you know, Channel Four supported us with the commissioning of a show called Collector's Lot back in the day, and I can honestly say because I was there at the time, you know, that was the that was the commission that allowed Two Four to become the company that it is now. You know, we were allowed to then invest in development build a fantastic out of London production team. And from that came loads of, you know, primetime network shows as well for Channel 4. So, you know, I don't think you can underestimate the impact this will have, not just on, you know, the independent sector, but particularly on the nations and regions if the channel's privatised. And and what I'm taking from that is, of course, that would have been a great idea. And of course, it would have been um, the correct decision for them to commission it. But it was Channel 4's ethos and its remit that edged it in that direction, right? That pushed that idea towards the front of the queue queue, and therefore helped you get it over the line? 100%. It was absolutely because it was, you know, it was of fundamental importance to Channel 4 then, as it is now, perhaps even more so now, that they supported out of London indies. And, you know, 24 was a very great, you know, beneficiary of that policy. Very good. Um, there's a lot of debate at the moment and, and, and suggestion from government that sustainability is at the heart of this, that, that in some way they're, they're looking at privatisation as a way of safeguarding Channel 4's future. I wonder about your, your views on that, because Channel 4 uh, has been uh, and continues to be reliant on advertising, and they're trying to migrate to a digital model, or you know, sort of weaning themselves off, off linear. Um, Mel, let's stick with you. I mean, do you, do you look at Channel 4 and say to yourself, there's a broadcaster that I've got question marks over its sustainability, or how, how healthy do you believe it to be? I would say, where is the evidence? that Channel 4 is economically unsustainable because I haven't been shown any. You know, they have just returned really great revenues in the past 12 months despite the pandemic. You know, I think everyone in the industry accepts that their, their data strategy has been second to none. You know, their data management is fantastic. I, I don't understand the argument. I can't see it. They seem to me to be, you know, predicting a future that I don't recognise. And, and, and Alan, from, from your perspective, looking at it, I, I mean, 
Channel Four? Does it feel like a an old fashioned broadcaster that 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 kind of the the world is uh, the market is moving away from it, and that it's that it's at risk in in that sense? It faces the risks, obviously, uh, as all the broadcasts do. But under Alex, it's it's moved very clearly to a digital strategy. She's been super clear about that because you can say many things about Alex Mahon, but she does not lack clarity. And uh, the, the fact that their digital revenues, I think, are now about a fifth of their total, shows that they're making an effort. But it's an odd thing to say, we are going to protect you by destroying you. You know, it's a, it's a bit like the Americans bombing Vietnam, you know, and going, but actually we've saved by, by uh, bombing you. It's just such an odd way to think about the world. And do you guys believe that if they do privatise Channel 4 or move to make it, change it in some way that makes it more sustainable, that there would be inevitable knock-on effect on the indie community? I mean, I'm thinking about both the remit in terms of C4's requirement to give oxygen to new ideas and distinctive content, but also the fact, frankly, that it doesn't have in-house production. So is it is it the case that actually the, the ways that, you, that the government might see to make Channel 4 more sustainable would actually undermine the production sector? I think that's definitely a danger. And I think, you know, the conundrum for the government as they enter into this consultation as well is how, what is it ultimately that they want to achieve? Because if their absolute target is really to achieve the highest price possible that they can as a part of this sale, the only way they can do that is to change the legislation that sits around Channel 4, because they're not going to track the highest bidder with the, with the remit as it is and with the legislation as it is. As you say, it, it won't be attractive if you can't put in-house production into it for many of the American buyers that perhaps would look at this, or indeed the UK buyers who would look at this. So inevitably, that is going to be an issue. Yeah, that makes sense. Alan? Yeah, and to the questions of the remit in terms of trade that, that Mel has answered so well, I would uh, um, uh, production, I would add terms of trade, because how long can the terms of trade survive uh, in a privatised Channel 4? I think the pressure, uh, and having done a couple of American-style negotiations recently, which are, which are very brutal in their nature, I think the pressure for Channel 4 to alter the terms of trade, a privatised Channel 4 to alter the terms of trade would be enormous. Mm. I mean, at, currently, the terms of trade at Channel 4 are actually probably the cleanest and clearest they've ever been, right? The fact of the matter is you make a show for Channel 4 as a UK indie, and they get a lot of uh, leverage out of that, you know, a lot of mileage out of it, rather. They can they can repeat it lots of times. It can sit on all four for a lengthy period. You know, you don't get those tiny little incremental payments that you used to get for, for each sort of all four view. But the return for an indie is you get that IP to exploit internationally and you get to hang on to all of that that revenue. So it strikes it strikes me that that's that's a that's a nice, clean, clear way of the indie sector interacting with Channel Four on a on a corporate level. Alan, and they were long and hard fought, as you know, Chris. Uh, and I think they, they would be under immense pressure because you see how the world's going. That the fact that the number of buyers probably in the states has shrunk to maybe six or seven groups now. Uh, and, you know, if, if it was part of one of those groups, they're buying for the whole world. They're not interested in you having a share of it. They're not interested in you being able to exploit it in any way. They're having the lot. That's one of the effects, isn't it, really, of the, the, the sort of top level consolidation that we're that we're seeing, particularly on the other side of the, the Atlantic. Right. That as 
all of the i mean the us giants were always powerful they were always big they always had an aggressive rights situation but now when the studios in particular are vertically integrated when they're looking to feed their their streaming services which are available right across the world the number of places that a uk indie can take a, an idea where they are have a chance of clinging on to some ip is pretty limited right absolutely um, 100%. Just on your previous point, though, Chris, what I would say is, you know, you're absolutely right to identify that it is, um, you know, it's a clear runway at Channel 4. But there are, of course, some caveats to that, you know, not all Channel 4's programming comes with, you know, IP under the terms of trade for the indie sector. So, you know, there is a big group of motion content deal in place, as we know. You know, Ian has recently announced the launch of the Global Format Fund, which, you know, changes the rights ownership that sit around the programmes that some of the programmes that we make at Channel 4. And I think it's interesting, actually, the way that the indie community has reacted to the Global Format Fund, which in my experience has been that it's been largely embraced because I think everybody understands that the channel needs to evolve and that they need to find new revenue streams. And I think the indie sector is very, very supportive of helping them do that. Yeah, look, that's interesting, Mel. And I think that initially when that was announced, we had a few rumbles and grumbles and people sort of raising an eyebrow. But it does seem as though the sector now kind of understands that as long as what C4 is offering via those funds is meaningful, longer runs and, you know, really significant marketing spend behind those shows, etc., that that feels like a decent kind of a trade-off. Let's 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 keep going with that then, because to a certain extent, I think one of the questions now for both the indie sector and for Channel Four is how to make the case to government, how to articulate that that view. I suspect that C Four would be well served by indicating a willingness or an openness to change and to evolve rather than just saying we're perfect as we are and, and um, we, we, sh- we should be left alone. Alan, I wonder about your take in terms of both how C4 and how the indie sector should make the case to government. Yeah, it's funny that this morning we had a meeting of, um, there's a Scottish-wide TV working group, which is all the broadcasters, leading producers, Screen Scotland, uh, which is a very collegiate group. And when we're talking on this very issue, the truth of the matter is uh, too many of Channel 4's friends, political friends, sit in places where they're of no power. You know, the Labour Party, the Liberal Democrats, the SNP. And the only, the only party that really matters in this is the Tories. So what they need to do is mobilise people with friends in the Conservative Party who can help make that influence and I'm sure they're very smart people at Channel 4 they've they've worked that out so that's where the lobbying effort really has to be and the problem is they have they have too many friends on the other side and not enough on that side yep and and Mel your take on the on the indie sector I mean it's time maybe for the indie sector to really get together and and start shouting from the rooftops I would agree with that 100%. And I think the most important thing is that we have one clear message that we all get behind so that we don't have a lot of disparate arguments sat around this. I think that's really important. You know, one of the government's key planks in their argument is that Channel 4 is, you know, unsustainable economically in the future or could potentially become that. I think we have to bat that away. And I think it's really important that the government are made to understand that, you know, the significance and the importance of Channel 4, not just to the indie sector, but to Great Britain PLC as a whole. You know, if they go after Channel 4 and they privatise it in this way, there is a very high risk that they will end up absolutely destroying one of the biggest IP format exporting businesses in the world. 
we are unbelievably successful and a large part of that is down to the fact that Channel 4 is a public service broadcaster that supports independent production. We are joined now by Claire Enders to give us the analyst's view on this. So Claire, welcome. A lot of the posturing from the government, positioning from the government around the imminent consultation is that Channel 4 faces question marks over its uh, long-term future. Is that a view that you recognise? What's your take on C4's sustainability? Uh, well, I, I think it's absolutely right to, to ask those questions and to ask them now, given that the Channel 4 licence ends at the end of 2025. And therefore, you know, looking beyond that, that, that date is appropriate at this time, particularly because there are two features which distinguish Channel 4 from all others in the commercial space entirely. One is is that it spends a a much higher percentage of its revenue on origination than any other business. And what we saw last year was actually Channel 4 cut that very substantially and quickly, and it showed how flexible actually (coughs) the publisher broadcaster model has proved to be. I mean, it had much better results, all other things being equal than ITV, as indeed did STV, which also had the benefit of not being burdened with huge numbers of production commitments that had to be rescheduled and rethought, a massive furlough scheme that had to be engaged with. I point out the Channel 4 repaid the furlough money that it took, which ITV has, I think, not yet done, but I could be wrong on that. Um, In any case, uh, Channel 4 showed how flexible that model was after 40 years of operation. Were you surprised by that, Claire? Were you surprised? I mean, they they ended up only 5% down on revenues year on year, which I thought was was pretty remarkable, really. I mean, they did strip the money out of the programme budget, as you say, but it felt like um, a, a sort of surprisingly resilient performance. It was extraordinarily resilient, and that shows actually how management... Decision-making is so vital in an emergency. And, and, and I have to credit Alex Mayen and her team and, and her chairman, Charles Garassa, for having, having the wisdom and foresight to, um, I'm afraid, listen to us and explain what we thought the shape of the next six months was going to be and to take radical action. And as you saw in their recent results, the surplus was not that substantial and much of it would have been wiped out had the government advanced on its initial move to ban, for instance, advertising on high fat foods and so on. That would have been very damaging to that apparent successful financial year of surplus, which is a very rare occurrence for Channel 4 and only because they cut their program budget, as you mm-hmm. said, with such flexibility and verve and vim. I mean, obviously, the other reason to cut your program budget was that productions weren't happening. So it wasn't exactly as if they were dealing a terrible hand of fate to their suppliers. Their suppliers themselves were coping with, with, with very, very dramatic and difficult situations of their own. So Channel 4 was, was there as a lifeline for, for, for many companies, as indeed it, it, it continues to be the case. So I think, I, think, I think the sustainability issue is one that the government is no longer advancing so much. I think it's looking more at the scale issue, and that's really where we've seen the dialogue go. Uh, with John Whittingdale just explaining again, you know, whether whether that scale is sustainable. And, and given the other important feature of Channel 4, which I refer to as its remit, both a commercial remit not to own IP, 
Well, you don't see any commercial organizations in the world acting on that basis today. In fact, every single company that owns IP, Disney, Netflix, Sky, uh, uh, all these organizations, or Amazon, are rewarded for that ownership rather than anything else. So, so ownership of IP is a very, very key feature of that remit, and that would be anathema. It would be anathema for Channel 4 to sustain its absence of ownership of IP yeah. going forward if, if it were to be of interest to a commercial buyer. Indeed, you know, there is, there is I think, a very valuable uh, set of issues to look at as to whether that remit is, is any longer appropriate after 40 years, except for very small companies, which Channel 4 specializes in, in sustaining. I mean, these are companies under 1 million pounds of, mm-hmm. of revenue, for instance, whose only trading relationship is in fact with public service broadcasters, in fact, with Channel 4. Because obviously you have to understand that, you know, all of the other organizations are monoliths. I mean, Sky is building a giant production facility that's already going on stream. The BBC is a monolithic organization. ITV is one of the biggest producers in Europe, mm-hmm. etc. So you've got monolithic production-driven organizations which own uh, all of their IP around Channel 4, which is really built there to sustain and cause to flourish an independent production sector, which would not have existed in any other way, shape, or form. And to calculate in any kind of way, the overall contribution of that economic innovation is beyond our capabilities simply because the data doesn't exist. However, we are working on a really elegant piece of economic estimation and then using the data that, for instance, EY has collected and so on and so forth on the economic overall economic impact of Channel 4, which is not just on the independent production sector, but also in university sector, advertising sector, and so on. Yeah. Very, very vast sets of innovation. So to my mind, those innovations all come from exactly that model, the yeah. Channel 4 culture of public service and so on. So is that is that a scale problem? Well, lack of ownership of IP is definitely a scale problem in, in, in today's world. That's glaringly obvious. It's worth really looking at. And if the government wishes to do one thing, uh, which would make the company attractive and indeed much more sustainable, and therefore more attractive, would attract a higher price, would make it more worthwhile for the government to sell it because, my heavens, it's going to be very hard to extract a price that even comes close to the total possible Mm -hmm. economic intervention across these many islands from Orkneys to Bristol to to Wales, et cetera, that Channel 4 will engineer in its its lifetime, future lifetime, as a publicly owned entity given its its outstanding record so far. I'm I'm so, taking from that, Claire, that it would be sort of almost inconceivable to you that uh, would be buyers are going to splash a meaningful amount of cash if if the organisation they're purchasing is prevented from having in house production. That feels like no, no, not in house production. It's ownership of IP that it okay. needs. Ownership it doesn't need so, vertical. Okay. I think that it last year really showed that. The absence of vertical integration is something that gives Channel 4 an amazing edge in a crisis. And I'm, 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 I'm not with anyone who thinks that our health crises are over. I just don't think that's right. I think we're going to see more. Uh, we're going to see a very, very extended period of very high demand for video. We've seen that drive Channel 4's business to exactly, as you said, only a minus 5% hit when actually the initial provisions that would have occurred had the government not continued with the furlough scheme uh, c- c- continuously until 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 its current wind down. So the current and past furlough schemes have actually sustained all of consumption in this country until we were able to get back to work, which we have with such great aplomb. 
So, you know, the future actually is very, very bright for Channel 4 in terms of the near-term capability of the company to post some absolutely outstanding results, which would be of great interest. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we expect it to do sort of over 10%, for instance, revenue growth this year. The same, you're looking at the impact on all media of an outstanding fiscal stimulus of record proportions. I mean, similar to that which was laid onto the table during and after the 2008-2010 crash. I mean, you're looking at epic proportions of fiscal stimulus, which absolutely all drive forward an incredible consumption boom. And of course, the continuing work from home, the absence of visibility on that, that all drives a lot of consumption of video um, across the piece. So, and, and, and finally on this little section, Claire, it strikes me that previously it would have been for sort of monopoly and competition reasons. It kind of would have been inconceivable that one of the big existing UK broadcasters with a significant ad sales operation would have been allowed to acquire Channel 4. I wonder now with the advent of digital advertising and companies like Google and Facebook taking such huge chunks of, of advertising money, whether it whether you consider that potentially a an existing UK sort of peer or rival of Channel 4 might be a potential bidder for it? Well, Absolutely. But I do think that the CMA would not look kindly on, 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 on either ITV or indeed any other combination relating to the BBC at all. Uh, for instance, any combination between Channel 4 and BBC Studios is out of the question. So to my mind, if there is an issue of scale, which is possible result of the government's <clears throat> excuse me, consultation, if there is an issue of scale, which relates to that commercial, uh, the absence of a commercial remit on IP ownership, for instance, or any other element of Channel 4's remit, then I think that the government would be wise to look first to a consolidation with another one of two players, Channel 5 or STV, which would also be similarly have to be considered below scale if Channel 4 is below scale. Mm-hmm. And neither of those operations sells its own ads. So that would be absolutely fine in terms of a combination that would glide swiftly through the CMA's processes and which would solve a problem that would otherwise hurt other parts of the commercial sector, i.e. a below-scale Channel 5 or below-scale STV, an unsustainable set of elements in a public service broadcasting system, which is the envy of the world, would cause concern to any part and above all, Channel 5's management and STV's management. So that would be the first and most valuable play. And we saw that, you know, obviously Channel 5 belongs to Viacom. It's a very uh, deep and, 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 and interesting company with, with massive scale compared to any British player, for, for sure. So that would be definitely under the better buyer thing mm-hmm. and also the consolidation play with channel four in terms of its physical facilities the mm-hmm. commitment that channel five and stv both have to public service broadcasting to those disparate audiences to those hard to reach audiences i think that either one of those organizations would wish to preserve perhaps 80 90 percent of the channel four audience remit whilst dealing with gentleness with the smallest companies and the smallest suppliers to try to rationalize that and above all, obviously, they would they would demand IP ownership. They would not pay a substantial sum to this company. I think they would be most committed to sustaining the economic impact of Channel mm-hmm. 4 and also most committed because they know it, 
and it's interesting you refer to competition. Actually, there's so much competition in the UK from YouTube, from Netflix, from Disney Plus, pay, non-pay options are, are, are massively significant in the UK. So, so the word competition is sort of beyond understanding in, in UK terms. For We have, in fact, got the most competitive market in the world. And therefore, I think that Channel 4's very sustainability in that unbelievably competitive environment. And let's face it, questions being raised by John Whittingdale have been raised in the past, in 2010, Mm -hmm. in 2015, Mm -hmm. and now, about whether Channel 4 can sustain its audiences in this madly competitive world. And I have to say, on three different occasions, and indeed with its latest results, it is proving to all who would question that that certainly it is able to sustain those audiences in a hugely competitive world. And above all, as you can see, uh, Channel 4 has only lost around 8% of its audience share in this most competitive of all decades. The flourishing of YouTube, mm-hmm. Netflix starting in January 2012, Disney Plus last year, massive, massive impact on viewership there. Amazon Prime, you know, continuing with its advance. Sky driving its 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 huge content business from 400 million of expenditure over to over a billion, mm-hmm. i.e., this year going to be massively exceeding Channel 4's origination spend. We're seeing competition from every single source you can imagine, and yet Channel 4 in this environment, possibly by focusing on these hard to reach, interesting audiences, has been able to sustain its business all the way through through thick and thin. Yeah. So. That's really an argument for those organizations that are most sensitive to understanding Channel 4's special role in the UK and why its business model works as it does. Those organizations will be very, very likely to respect those elements of Channel 4's culture. Mm -hmm. And and after all, all of its staff are completely devoted to these ends of public service broadcasting. It's impossible to imagine a company taking on buying Channel 4 without wishing to respect the culture of every single one of those exemplary employees. Yeah, well, I think that will be one of the interesting things as the debate as the debate plays out. Alan, I'm going to come to you now. Listening to to, to that, I wonder whether what your reaction would be to a a Channel Four that perhaps might end up being slightly closer to ITV or Channel Five uh, tonally or in terms of its sort of strategic goals. Is there a little bit of a danger that a new owner at Channel 4 results in sort of more of the same of what we've already got in terms of programming and in terms of content strategies? It it was a fascinating contribution from Claire and kind of reinforces what I was saying earlier about what is under threat is the terms. I think at Channel 4 from privatisation rather than in-house production, I think that that's right. In terms of the runners and riders, I, you clearly see, because obviously it was discussed before, that Channel 4 could get together. Not so sure about STV, given as it hardly commissions any content, let alone from the independent sector. That would feel an odd mix and maybe a wee bit like the tail wagging the dog. Maybe only a Scottish person's allowed to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could definitely see why Viacom would be would be interested in in, in doing so. But yeah, it's it's all the stuff about the the ecology of it that would be that would be under threat, the, the culture of Channel Four that would be under threat, because they are they are both very very different organisations. Let alone any of the the big international or American players who might be interested in, in taking it over. Yes, I mean I think it's really interesting because it's the very things that make Channel Four 
distinctive that are the levers that the government could pull or not, as the case may be, that would kind of make it more or less attractive to potential buyers. And I actually wonder whether, I, I, I don't know, Mel, maybe I'll ask this question of you. Is this debate binary? Is it privatisation is, is going to be detrimental to the sector and it would undermine the PSB ecology and the indie sector. I mean, it could become more nuanced than this. We could we could be talking about sliding scales. We could be talking about a degree of IP ownership. Does it, it, you know, do, do you feel as though there would be a palatable way in which Channel Four could be privatised, or is your is your instinct that that's a, a sort of a thin end of the wedge, and that, that once that door is open, it will just be uh, sort of eroded away? I think the question we have to ask ourselves is. In what world is a privatised Channel 4? How is Channel 4 improved by privatisation? I haven't yet heard one argument that makes me think that anything about privatisation will improve the offering of Channel 4. So for me, it is a binary argument. I, I think that as an industry, we have to get behind Channel 4 now and we have to make the government understand that privatisation is simply not an option. Well, we've had a, a pretty wide-ranging discussion today, and I think that that feels like a nice rallying call to end on. So thank you for listening. This has been the Broadcast News Wrap. Um, I've been Chris Curtis, and you've been listening to Alan Clements, Mel Leach, and Claire Enders. This podcast was edited by John Elms, and there's a whole load of 49 previous episodes that are available on Spotify, iTunes, and broadcastnow.co.uk. Thank you for listening. We'll see you all next time.